0: Does playing in the zone really exist? What is the value to playing in the moment? How do you organize your thoughts to perform your best? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on Dan Abrahams who is a sports psychologist from London, England who specializes in two sports, soccer and golf. However, when we're talking about um, sports psychology, I think that we span across a lot of different sports and so I really was happy to bring Dan on to talk about it and also to talk about his new book, Soccer Tough 2. So Dan, thanks for coming on the show and joining us.
1: Nick, thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be talking to you today.
0: Well, let's jump into it for a second because this new book, Soccer Tough 2, sounds like, uh, you know, some sort of movie uh, sequel <laughs> <laughs> where, you know, people are attacking each other on the field. So what, what exactly is the book about?
1: Well, you know what? I wrote Soccer Tough uh, three years ago. Um, it's been a massive uh, success, thankfully. Um, and, you know, I suppose this is an opportunity to thank the um, um Big American audience within soccer who bought my book. It's sold really well over where you are, and um, a lot of people said, "Look, you've got to, you, you've got to give us more tools and techniques. You've got to give us more performance and development philosophies." So, I've had three years working with soccer players globally, but obviously, especially here in England in the England Pre- English Premier League, working with coaches um, around Europe, and um, this new book um, is a sort of a. a, a almost like a collaboration with them. I've had some really good Successful case studies, um, and I've put lots of new tools and techniques and ideas and philosophies into this one, so it's packed full of, of of stories of successes with players and stories from coaches and and all kinds of things. So yeah, it's um, it's it came out a week ago, so I'm really happy right now.
0: Well, you know, it's I think a really important thing to talk about because it's not in America we don't spend enough time on the psychology part of the game and the, and the mental preparation. I think. We're slowly inching there, and I'm certainly doing my part to to help people understand how important it is. Um, you know, one thing I've always wondered is when I've seen a lot of the you know international players come over to play in the NBA, for instance, most of them um, have been really team oriented, willing to pass and be part of a team like that and not cause issues in the locker room. My question there is, and I, I want to ask these guys directly, but I'm wondering your philosophy, your your, your take. Um, Is it because they were brought up on soccer when they were growing up?
1: Maybe, Nick. Maybe. I I find that quite interesting, actually. And I I don't know if that's a phenomenon of whether they've arrived in a different country, a strange country to them. They're slightly out of their comfort zone. And so they immediately turn to cohesive behaviours, friendship, trying to feel uh, their way into society. And so subsequently they communicate more, they work with and cooperate with team members more. Because I've got to be honest with you, I mean, I'm working heavily here in England in the EPL, the English Premier League, and actually what we're finding now is soccer is becoming more and more an individual sport. Um, It's clearly a team sport, I get that, I understand that. But careers now are, are are short. They're challenging. Soccer is a global um, game. And global players want to come and play in the EPL, in the English Premier League. They want to come and play in La Liga in Spain. They want to play in Serie A in Italy. And so you've got to be good, and you've got to have a good team around you as an individual. And and that's one thing I do with my EP, EPL players, is I often work outside of the clubs with players individually. And so there is an individual phenomenon that, that, that sort of runs through soccer in Europe. So I find that actually quite interesting. And I do wonder if it's the phenomenon of they've moved over to the States. They're trying to fit in. They're trying to find friends. They're trying to get in with their teammates. And I wonder if that's a reason behind that.
0: So is the implication that what you're seeing now are people are more, you know, you um, know, uh, they're not, they're not team oriented. They're trying to be more focused on themselves and be show off, like show off their ball skills and not you know not pass enough. Is that what you're seeing?
1: Not so much, Nick. I, I mean, what I'm saying there is uh, it, it, in soccer in England, it's so competitive and, and anything you can do to get the cutting edge um, is imperative. And, and players are seeking solutions outside of their home environment at the club. In terms of their play on the pitch, in terms of their behaviour around the club itself, then, of course, it's going to be cohesive behaviour. Of course, they're going to play, you know, strive to be great individuals and great teammates. And I think you can have both. And it doesn't matter if it's soccer or basketball or whatever sport. Look, you can have both and both can intertwine. You can be a great individual, but you can also be a great teammate. I don't think that they're separate entities as such. Clearly, there are extremes of behaviours and performances. If a player is so selfish and so into what he is, he or she has to do and forgets about teammates, then that's maladaptive. Of course, that is. But there is a there there is a there is a happy medium, and there's a place for both.
0: You know, we have this term in America, the alpha dog, where okay. you know a guy like Kobe Bryant, right? He comes in, and, and it's not even the, the style of play; it's the mindset he brings to the game. And, um, you know, there are certain players that are, I guess, good enough to be able to assume that mindset and play that role. Then there are guys who, you know, have read about it clearly and say, I want to be that way, but probably aren't as good enough to do that and ultimately hurt the team. Does that exist as well on the soccer pitch?
1: absolutely and, and you know what's so fascinating you know, to me and 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 as i've said to you nick i'm I'm a, I'm a fan of basketball but i have a limited knowledge but but to me historically for players who look across and they see a kobe bryant they see a michael jordan and i know i'm going way back there way back <laughs> into the distant past then but um they see these players and they derive confidence from these players so it, it let's you know look at my sport there in terms of of soccer you've got players who would look across so the the players at Spurs at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club who uh, looked across and saw Gareth Bale a few years ago the Welsh player who recently went to Real Madrid or went to Real Madrid a couple of seasons ago when Gareth Bale was playing for Spurs those players Uh, And I've had a conversation with a player who played for Spurs at the time about this. They looked across and they said, as they were walking out onto the pitch, we've got Gareth it's going to be okay. He is going to make an impact. Even if we have an off-team performance today, we believe he is going to do something so phenomenal that he's going to impact. So it creates adrenaline and testosterone. It, it helps players derive confidence. You know, it, an interesting phenomenon with Liverpool Soccer Club a couple of seasons ago with the great player Luis Suarez, the um, the Uruguayan soccer player who went off to Barcelona Um, when he left Liverpool had a great drop in form, not just because they missed the ability of Luis Suarez, but they missed his presence. Mm. They missed his uh, phenomenal character, personality. The fact that I, as a player, Liverpool player, could look at him and go, he is going to do something special. And it's got to be the same in basketball. It's got to be that, yes, you want great teammates. Yes, you want cohesion. Yes, you want players working together. But you can't take away individual excellence. You can't take away character, personality, flair, because that creates team cohesion, team
0: confidence as well. Wow, that's interesting, Uh, really interesting stuff, especially because, you know, we we oftentimes look at the negative version of what that looks like without realizing that, yeah, there is, I'm sure with Michael Jordan's teammates, when they went out there, they assumed that kind of uh, an extra edge uh, psychologically, So, you know, we're now moving into 2015 and not, you know, from back in the 80s style of I feel like back in the day to be tough meant something from a coaching perspective, how we would coach our players and how they had to be a certain amount of toughness And there were certain methods that coaches used you know, throwing balls at them and pushing them down and making them run, uh, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff until they threw up. Um, you know, now I wonder what that feels like. It feels like soccer still has that reputation of you got to be tough because you're running for, you know, the whole time, I suppose. But but what do you feel about that, the kind of training methods and what that does to the to the psyche of a player when you use methods like that to try and get players to be better?
1: Look, I, I think it's too basic to, when you've got a when you've got a team in front of you, whether it's a basketball team or whether it's a soccer team, you've got um, X amount of players, and I'm sorry, limited knowledge here. Is it five players on a basketball court Five, at any five time? on five, yeah. So you've got five, five players on a basketball court you know you've got you've got 11 players on a a soccer pitch um with substitutes you've got 14 15 players in the changing room there with you so when you talk to players when you communicate to players you're not communicating to players per se you're communicating with their brains and their brains have adapted from their needs their wants their hopes their doubts their fears their beliefs their expectations their cultures their religions all kinds of things, you know, that th- are thrown into to the mix. To, so to to say that to to create mental toughness in a player, it requires one only one form of communication. Is is. Incorrect. You can't just be tough on on everybody because you if you're tough on a certain character and it if I was to be generalized here, there is some evidence to suggest that shouting at an introvert and I'm and I'm being really general here mm-hmm. if I if you shout at an introvert, you will release cortisol, which is his or her stress hormone, into their bloodstream. And you're going to suppress their performance. You're going to dull their anticipation. You're going to slow their decision-making basketball very important intelligent basketball skills right mm-hmm. so so you can't just have a one size fits all so for a coach it's complex and especially in today's culture whether you're in England whether in you're in the US kids today even adults today aren't necessarily as they used to be they're not going to accept that form of communication from you so it needs to be more subtle than that and i don't think they the Ultimately, you need to know how to communicate with the individuals in your team. Yes, there has to be a blanket form of communication, a generalized form of communication that hits home effectively with everybody. But there also needs to be individual communication and ultimately you can't just have a go at everybody if you're losing you can't just say how wonderful everything is if you're winning it's got to be more than that it's got to be to me it's got to be process oriented you've got to instruct you've got to get you know deeper you've got to instruct mindset you've got to instruct um, technique you've got to instruct tactics it can't just be have a go at them or praise them there's more meat on the bone there there really has to be
0: you know, it, I think what you're also saying is that um, one of the big keys here is you've got to know your players so from, from day one or even during the tryouts. You need to quickly and have techniques. And here's my other thing is, you know, people like Phil Jackson or, or um, you know, uh, Greg Popovich, and I'm sure there's the equivalents in, in the soccer, I don't know, for coaches who are renowned for being terrific communicators and great coaches. And I think in the past we've sort of said, oh, they're just naturally good at that. And they shrug and like I don't I'm not, I don't have that I'm not that kind of coach but I feel like these are techniques that they're using that anybody can learn. Uh, They might not be completely as natural as Phil Jackson was, but I feel like, you know, and I tell a story a lot where um, I met with a guy who's a Tony Robbins disciple, you know, Tony Robbins, and he was telling me what they do on their end, and I think there's so much application in sports. He was like, um, and some of the listeners might know I'm telling a story, but I'm sure there's a lot out there who haven't heard it, but basically it's, he's like, pick a word or a phrase in the beginning of the year, and when something good happens in a practice, say it. Right, not all the time. Just every once in a while, sprinkle it in there once every you know few we- few weeks or whatever. Just you know. So I remember the year I did it was Gangnam Style. Remember that 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 movie yeah. or that, that the song. Yeah. So I said, you know, and I'm mispronouncing it. I'm making it, but, but everyone laughed. That was funny. But we did a, a great, like, a backdoor cut and a layup and da-da-da. I'm like, that's Gangnam style. I'd stop the practice and I'd yell it out. and They'd laugh. And I swear to God, we were in the middle of a, what a really tough game. We were, like, down at halftime. And uh, I was trying to talk to them about something. And I just said, I used that phrase. And I swear to God, everybody sat up a little bit. Their eyes opened a little bit wider. And then we went out and destroyed that team in the third quarter. And I felt like it was cheating. But all it was was probably doing what all those great coaches do, maybe even subconsciously. But I was just, you know, we had a technique. So aren't these just a lot of techniques that can be studied and learned and to elicit that kind of response? Absolutely, you're one hundred percent
1: right. I mean, let let me give you your your audience some actionable ideas here. I'm just, you know, for, let, very basic stuff. I the soccer coaches that I speak to, and this can go for basketball coaches as well. A thirty second drill at the beginning of any basketball session to get your players together. Okay, ask them a question because questions, questions are more powerful than statements. Questions open up a catalogue of pictures in a player's head. Okay, what will it look like today if you train at your best? Okay, bang just just, just throw that question out there. What will it look like? By saying look like, by using that word or those words, you're asking a player to start envisioning. You don't have to use the term visualisation. You don't have to use the term imagery. You can just say, get a picture of what it would look like today if you're 10 out of 10 in training, if you're stretching yourself in training, if you're coming out your comfort zone. Maybe you can adapt that question to include what one or two actionable goals have you got today in training and you just get players to start to think about it you're not going to lose them because you're not using scientific words here just what will it look like you know I, i i use with players all the time their best game drill as well, their best game drill, I just ask them, uh, my clients, my players, every day I'm texting them, what went well today, what does your best game look like, what does your best game feel like, that's dynamite communication, it's so simple, it's not rocket science, it doesn't require a PhD in communication strategies, yet what you're doing there is you're tapping into the brain's natural memory mechanism, okay, memory and imagination, Memory and imagination are the cornerstones of uh, a player's basketball image, how they see themselves as a player. When players, when basketball players rehearse their best games every day, when they rehearse their dream games every day, that done every day mounts up over time. They get a small injection of confidence on a the day, then that leads to big hits of belief over time. So those little communication things can be useful. Can I give you another idea as well? Please, I'm go right ahead. Off sure. Another idea here could be, and this is, um, you gave me an example of, of something from your own playbook. Let me go to my playbook. I worked with um, a, a club here in England, quite a famous club um, with very, very good players, um, a couple of seasons ago and they were, we have promotion and relegation here. So you can go up a division, down a division in soccer and, um, and, uh, the, I was called in by the manager, by the head coach, who said, look, Dan, we can push on to the playoffs. But, you know, we're also looking down as well. We're looking down at relegation because the division was very, very tight from a points perspective. And he said, can you help us? So I I went in and I delivered some stuff. And something I delivered as well is something I call a team script. So if we're talking about team cohesion here, we're talking about effective forms of communication, a team script. So what I said to the players is I said... What I'd like you to do is I'd like you guys to think about your best performances. I got them into um, groups related to their positions on the pitch. So the defenders went together, the midfielders went together, the strikers went together, the goalkeepers went together. And I said, think about your best games this season. I want you to come up with three or four things that you think you did well as a team. Specific things that you can control, that you could control and you can continue to control. What went well? And so they came up with things like 100% intensity levels no matter what. um, Constant positive communication, helping each other out. um, um, there is a bit of a culture here in England of players digging each other out, so getting quite negative with communication. You know, oh, that was rubbish, don't, and that's a very polite way of putting what they'd say to each other. <laughs> that was rubbish, don't do that again. And, 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 and they said, we need, you know, actually, when we've played well, we've been very positive, positive communication. So we took four or five things and we wrote them down. So every unit wrote those things down. We came up with four or five things. Now, what's common uh, soccer clubs here in England? And I, and I dare say it's the same in, in, in clubs, in basketball clubs in the US is in the gym. They love their motivational quotes. They love their Michael Johnson and their Michael Jordan uh, motivational quotes. They're on the wall. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? The problem is players see it every day. They get sick and tired of it. So we decided we took down those motivational quotes and we put up the four or five process. I call it a, a, a team script. It's a script for our performers to go out and execute. And we put those around the gym. We put those around the club. We put them up in the dining room where players would eat. And when they looked around, they saw the team script. They saw what they had to do, what they had to repeat together as a unit, as individuals, um, as a team, and it reinforces things every day. So again, there's something simple there for coaches to do. Go away, do a team script, um, get players to come up with the team script, and that's built from best games. It's built from dream games. This is simple stuff, Nick, and anybody... Anybody can do this.
0: You know, the positive communication is so important because I'm sort of an unofficial spokesperson for the Positive Coaching Alliance here. I have them on. We talk. And then I always get, you know, a certain amount of comments that are like, you're making your players into sissies. They're not tough. They don't, you know, you can't just be talking all, you know, kumbaya the whole time. And it's really, really frustrating because... Uh, we are seeing results from uh, from coaches who follow it, and uh, you know I I certainly did. And you you would never walk away from watching my teams play and say, "Oh, those guys weren't tough; they didn't play you know hard." Um, and so my question also then you know is it, it turns into a vocabulary thing to some degree. Like we used to talk yeah. about it, where you could yell really angrily at a player just the word "no," like you know in the middle of a game, and he makes a mistake, and you just like you know and you scream at him. And so my, my, uh, I would compare that to turning the kid into like a, a seven-year-old that just broke something in their parents' house and the fa- father just yelled at him, right? And now, yeah. the, the, and it's probably like the, the chemical you were talking about, it gets produced in the middle of a game. How long does it take before that effect wears off? 20 minutes, maybe, if you're lucky? Well, the game is probably over in 20 minutes, right? And then you're going to get nothing out of that, that player.
1: Absolutely, Nick, and you're absolutely spot on you know, when you communicate with the player, I mean, those, those those coaches you talk about where you're creating sissies have a complete misunderstanding of the way the brain is structured and how it functions and how our, our performance hormones work. The, the performance hormone that I spoke about earlier was cortisol. So think about yourself getting angry or frustrated in a traffic jam or with a spouse or a son or daughter or a, a colleague or friend and how that can feel um, and how that can lead to, it can lead to a continuation of that anger or or it can lead to despondency and those are not great states mental states to perform it how what does that work what that does nick interestingly from a neuroscientific perspective is it shuts down this this part of the brain the front part of the brain which is your 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 frontal lobe now when you are training basketball players a big part of what you're doing is not just training their hands, not just training their feet, you're training their brain and especially the frontal lobe. You're training their anticipation, their awareness, their decision making, their pattern recognition, their game reading and a lot of that, most of it resides in there and what happens is when you communicate ineffectively with a player, ineffectively with a player. When you shout at the player who, if you do shout at them, they're going to release cortisol, Okay, that shuts down the front part of their brain. So in in essence, you're creating tunnel vision. So that player won't see what's going on around them. They won't, as we say in soccer, check their shoulder and get the 360 view. It will slow their anticipation. It will damage their decision-making. So actually... Um, it's that proposed or purported tough communication that's actually damaging their ability to compete effectively. I have a term that I use, and something uh, a term I've used throughout my books, Soccer Tough, Soccer Brain, and Soccer Tough too. I, I, I use the acronym ANTS. ANTS, A-N-T-S, um, Automatic Negative Thoughts. And I talk to players about squashing their ANTS and I talk to players about helping other players squash their ants. And I talk to coaches about communicating in a fashion that prevents players from uh, from having ants and releasing cortisol. And con- at that continuation of ants. So everything you do as a coach, you have to communicate with players with their brain in mind. It's imperative. And if that means that you have you feel like you have to be soft on a player what I'd say is it's not so much being soft it's helping develop flexible thinkers it's helping develop players to me it it's process communication instruct them help them help them know where they are help them know what they have to do not what they don't have to do or not what they shouldn't be doing but on what they should be doing in that moment
0: yeah, I it, it, I can't stress that enough as far as uh, the, the vocabulary as well because I think it sounded weird to me when I first started to try and do it because when I was coaching, I had the X's and O's down. I felt really good about that, but I didn't feel like I had enough command of, of communication and, and the psychological part of the game. So when I was talking with a lot of different psychologists and people like that, um, they stressed vocabulary and eliminating eliminating certain vocabulary like like no, for instance. Which is kind of like how you laugh at the at the uh, the parent who might who's never told his kid no. They, they had a really funny uh, episode of Louie uh, if you ever watched that show, and uh, you know it's like you can, how can you imagine raising a child and never saying the word no? Now at least on the on the basketball field uh, on the basketball court there are certain you know words that you would really want to try and avoid because of the emotional baggage I suppose that comes with a lot of that stuff, um, and so. You know, I try and argue like, you know, the Bobby Knight style people. So you know who Bobby Knight is or was, yep,
1: right? yep, Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've heard some Bobby Knight rants on uh, YouTube. Yep, yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and so I think, you know, his take is, well, one, he's got a vision in his head. And when they don't do it, it drives him crazy. And I, I, I guess I understand because it probably seems so simple to him. You know, how can it not be simple to them? But um, but also, um, I've I, you know, the idea of being in a positive frame of mind – However you get there, your team is so is so much more important to me in a way that we talk about the zone or being in the zone. And first, my question is, just a curiosity, does that exist? You know, you see a guy get on fire on the basketball court. and He's making shots from all over. We we're seeing Steph Curry do that on a nightly basis. Um, does that exist in soccer?
1: You know, clearly it does. It does it does I, I, I wouldn't say um, it, it's the zone has been a, a a word a phrase a concept that's been in fashion for many years and there's some great literature on it um, I, I wouldn't say it's something I, I, I focus on heavily because I just don't think there's been great literature and there's great hypotheses as to how to help a player find the zone the skills challenge balance having fun etc etc Um but i, I, I certainly I, I can't say for sure how you actually help a player get in the zone um to me it's about and 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 don't get me wrong it definitely exists i mean i I, as i said to you earlier nick i was a professional golfer and part of the zone is uh you know you feel that time slows down so you feel you've got all the time in the world so as a professional golfer you felt you could get to the top of the swing and you had all the time in the world to get back to the ball square the club head rip the ball down the middle the hole seems massive it's fantastic but it it doesn't often happen so a more practical approach it's there you know everything you're doing can help a player get into that but for me a more practical approach is can i help a player compete with focus compete with energy compete with confidence and here's the thing compete when they're not confident Mm-hmm. Because I'm always, I, people say, oh, you're the confidence coach. And, and and sometimes when players say to me, oh, I don't need to work with you, I'm mentally tough, or I don't need to work with you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a confident lad, or I'm a confident girl. I'm like, yeah, but do you know yourself so well and your high performance state so well that when you're not confident when you're coming off the back of a few bad training sessions, a few bad scrimmages as you'd say in the states a few bad games do you know how to give yourself the best possible chance to to perform to the best of your ability champions to me Maybe know how to help themselves play confidently, but they also damn well know how to perform close to their best when they 're not confident and that to me is the job of a sports psychologist and also the job of a coach as well, and perhaps that 's where I slightly divorce myself from this concept of zone yes it 's there, yes. A part of my work is helping players, but I don't often use that term because I want players to be so aware and so intelligent about themselves and their game and their mindset and their psychology that when they feel down, which inevitably, inevitably over the course of a soccer season and any season in sport is going to happen, you've got to turn up. You've got to know what you've got to do to compete at your best, and that to me is intelligent soccer or intelligent basketball.
0: When you've worked with, you know, a whole lot of different players, do you find a pattern that uh, exists between all of them that you always seem to be working on a very specific thing with, like, the majority of your clients?
1: Oh, good question.
0: Um,
1: Is there a pattern?
0: I mean, is it confidence, perhaps? Is that the thing or is there something else?
1: You know what? and 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 this is very specific to soccer here when 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 you have our league system our league structure here is say august through to um april may there's they they're in preseason in july there's not much of an off season the games come thick and fast And as I was alluding to earlier, it's very competitive over here now. And it's got to be the same in basketball. There's always somebody there to take your place. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be on it. And and, and so I think my time is mixed between, yeah, helping players maintain confidence, deal with a a lack of confidence and go out and perform anyway, Um, manage themselves off the pitch in terms of, Dealing with maladaptive coaching communication, dealing with um, a poor period of play, um, dealing with being benched. Um, so just staying in the game irrespective of the bad stuff that can happen over the course of the season so you know what Nick I have to answer no I, there, there's so many different things you know I help players train as uh, train effectively I'm very much into deliberate practice and helping players become better at that you know taking ownership of their practice sessions even though the coach is going to run their basketball or their soccer training sessions I want the player to go on the pitch or the court and actually have some ideas, him or herself, about what they're going to focus on as they're doing their passing drills and they're doing their, small, as we say in soccer, small-sided games and keep ball games. And, and so I want players taking ownership. So this, there really is an assortment. So I don't think there's one strand through it. There's a, there's a whole range.
0: Well, it's, it's interesting because what you're describing to me in a, to some degree is uh, I'm a, I'm a part-method coach. There are whole method, part method, and we argue about this all the time. In fact, uh, I'm a triangle offense coach, which has a lot of bases in soccer as far as you know the alignments of, of the players. And the guy that invented it was a mentor of mine, and he taught it as a whole-part-whole. Met- whole, and I would argue with him, which is kind of silly because I'm arguing with, the, like, the god of the, of the offense, uh, that, I, like, no, I would always do it part method. And I think what you're talking about on that part is if if you keep it as a part method and break things down, it makes your brain – it makes it easier for your brain to tune out the wayward thoughts and ideas that would distract you or creep in and make you less of an optimal player. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah, if, if I understand what you're saying – I. I let me be clear here i i'm fascinated in and uh, passionate about helping sports competitors have a, a structure to the mental side of their game and i think that's often lacking and actually, I, I and I'm willing to be shot down in flames here by other sports psychologists. But I think one thing in sports psychology that w- w- we we don't do so well. I think it can get a bit a bit flaky, a bit bit here, a bit from there, a bit. And, and when I start a relationship with a player. I am trying to um I'm trying to help a player I want a long term relationship and and you know I, I, I don't really do individual sessions. I actually do sessions on a monthly basis because I, I, I really want to establish a relationship in worse ways, you're gonna work with me for a month, you know, or not at all. And hopefully that goes on month to month to month and season to season and and, 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 and yes I'm trying to empower the player in many respects. Um, take responsibility for his or her mindset. I don't want them to be reliant on me. That's not what I'm saying. But um, I do also want to take some of the burden of their responsibility of managing themselves on a day-by-day basis. So I'm, I'm there as a mentor all the time. But just back to this idea of structure, I think that I'm passionate about delivering, helping players develop a structure to the mental side of their game. So... Uh, I want a player, when they've when they worked with me for after a period of time, to be able to say, this is what I do on a day-by-day basis with the mental side of the game. When I go to training, I have a training script. So in Soccer Tough 2, I talk, to, talk about a training script. You know, These are the three or four things I'm working on this month in my training that, yes, the coach drives the training, but I'm the one taking ownership of me and my game here. I've also got a rehearsal script okay that's my term for mental rehearsal for visualization so every single day i'm taking time to mentally rehearse my best game my dream games my 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 my, my training script etc etc outside of that i get away from soccer outside of that i get away from basketball i don't overthink because i find that players have a propensity to overthink their game uh, they find themselves, whether they're driving home or they're, they're just chilling out on the couch, watching a bit of TV, and suddenly pops into their head. They start to think about their bad plays, the fact they were benched, the fact that the coach had a bit of a go at them in the last uh, training session. So I say 15 minutes rehearsal script, then you're done. Get away from basketball, get away from soccer. So there's a bit of a a structure day by day. And then when they come to match day, when they come to game day, they've got something I call a match script which is the process, having a process orientation, the things they need to focus on that they can control. So my kind of long-winded answer to you, Nick, is, is I think players need a structure to their, their, their uh, mental side every single day and on match day.
0: So when you say structure, are you sort of saying, like, these are the thoughts that you need to put into your mind, like, you know, consciously, uh, maybe there's five, six things. And like, cause I, for me, I'm, I'm a pretty concrete thinker. The abstract makes me a little bit wary, right? It's hard to understand what it is. So is that what you're are you laying out, like, very specific thoughts, literally, th- yeah. I mean, thoughts to have in their head in an order that they need to rehearse, like a mantra almost.
1: In a way, yes. I go in every day when I train and I train my training script. In my training script, these are the three things I'm going to work on. When I go into – when I'm outside of training, I spend 15 minutes 1% of the day. That's about 15 minutes. A couple of mathematicians might quibble me on that. Something like 16 (laughs) minutes and 20 seconds, but 15 minutes every day mentally rehearsing and that's best game dream game and there'll be a bit more meat on the bone there and then when i come to game day i've got my game script on my match script so i'm trying to make what is and the reason why i take that viewpoint nick is where the mental side and where sport psychology. Uh, perhaps um, loses its appeal for people, and you said you're a concrete thinker, where it loses its appeal for people is that it can be so intangible, Mm -hmm. it's like but I can't see it, I can't, you know, what is it, and and this is where I think in sports psychology, my philosophy as a sports psychologist is let's make it as tangible and as concrete as we possibly can, let's put it down in black and white and there we go, now don't get me wrong, what I'm not doing is I'm not telling the player I'm I'm, I'm saying this is the suggest Structure and 99.9% of the time they're like, Oh, great, I have a structure for this now. I get this, but we're co creating what is within the structure. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm asking the questions that's helping a player. Um, uh, come up with a training script come up with the right rehearsal script for them come up with the right match script or game script so this is a co-creation here but I want them to have a structure my job is we are going to structure this just as you as a basketball coach will come up with a set of tactics that helps deliver a structure that your basketball players can adhere to so we need a structure to the mental side of the game
0: uh, let me ask you this. Um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of physical trainers and guys that will help. Uh, you know, on the um, on the you know weight training and all those kind of things. And when the player gets injured, you know, they get in there and they do their rehab. And one the one big thing that they always complain about is that the player will do the rehab until they're feeling fine. And then ignore it and they don't do it anymore. And then sure enough, you know, they'll come back again. Their back is bothering them, whatever. They just didn't keep the maintenance up. And the parallel I make in what you're doing is I feel like coaches probably say, please come and talk to my team or come talk to these players. Help me. But what you might realize is that it's the coach that needs the consultation with you. So, right, hard. so so, how often does that happen? Do you work with a lot of coaches as well, and is that like a big thing, a frustration? For yeah, it's it, 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 it's
1: developing. It's developing. I mean, there are there are some. Um, I I won't name names, but there's some very very big managers in soccer who certainly consult, and I, I, I consult with some of them myself, and um, who who consult with a sports psychologist because um, uh, that. You know, modern coaches realise that they they have to get a, a three hundred and sixty degree viewpoint of things. They have to look at um, areas of sports science that they don't naturally know themselves. So there is slowly becoming uh, a keen appreciation. Of this area, um, I, I certainly think. I mean, the role of a sports psychologist is far-reaching and very interesting. and And you can come in and work uh, with uh, an individual player. You can work with the team as a whole. You can work with the manager. You can work with the coaching staff. You can work with the organization uh, as a whole, helping develop a a, a, a high performing culture and a, a development, a culture of development, um, a positive culture. And, 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 and so it, that's where it's quite a fascinating, uh, a fascinating area.
0: Absolutely. And, and it's exciting because yeah, I think as the coaches are, you know, younger and, and the older coaches who might be more resistant, mm-hmm. Just by the fact that they were born in a different era, th- those guys are moving away and, and retiring. I think, I think we're seeing that. Um, and, you know, uh, the American version now is like when you watch the Warriors play, they're sort of the epitome of teamwork and playing in the moment. And, and we hear that a lot. And I know Steve Kerr, the head coach, and, and Luke Walton, they, they value that, like playing in the moment. When I was coaching, I had a team we played in, this, this, in a tournament for a million dollars, like winner, winner take all. You know, if you lose, you're out. And um, in those practice sessions before we played our games, you know, what my worry was was that you're going to get into a mindset where I'm just going to play as hard as I can. And I was trying to tell them, it's like, you, you can't shoot the ball harder Right, you can't really pass the ball harder, right? And you because then all of a sudden you have smoke coming out of your ears and you're tense and you're too, you know, you know, you, you look like a uh, like a tea kettle about to explode, and um and so that was a real interesting thing because I feel like there's a bit of a of a, a disconnect there between you know trying to to motivate your players to do their best and you mentioned that as part of your 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 mental framework of the process is you know I'm going to give my all, but when is it too much and when are you off balance and and uh, and too tense I suppose
1: and and you know what this is an area that has been a great learning experience for me over the last few years um through experiential learning through talking with people through talking with other sports psychs and and you've hit on a a very interesting point there And, and what I say to my players you know aggressiveness what I say to coaches is aggressiveness and assertiveness play out in very complex ways in sport and um um, to be aggressive, if if that's the right term, to be energetic, to be assertive. Actually, uh, you know, the he- forcing performance and the headless chicken approach does not work, and doesn't work for most players. And something I say to my players is, you cannot force performance. You you you. To me, you have to compete first and foremost, on a bed of relaxation, on a bed of relaxation. You can't, when you're, if you're a coach and you're motivating players, I just think you've got to start with relaxation, can't force performance. Um, Bad performances happen. And this is the interesting dynamic about performance is that the more you insist on a performance, Actually, the further away some players get from it, because they feel real pressure, um, they play at too high in an intensity, and at too high an intensity, as you, was, you were pointing out, yet you can't pass the ball harder. But also, there's an interesting dynamic where I come back to, you're going to create tunnel vision at too high an intensity Mm -hmm. you're going to actually slow down anticipation and decision making you're going to damage awareness all the game intelligence side of things players have to compete intelligently so i say to my players this and this is something i insist on all the time stop demanding and, and and this is going to this might this might make a lot of coaches cringe here this is going to take coaches out of their comfort zone here Stop insisting on performance and start insisting on process. The process takes care of performance, whether it's the individual pro- uh, process or the team process. Um, the more that you insist on performance, that, that's the quality of the plays, actually the further away some players get, a, get from that. When you help players build a process... So it could be along the lines of um, keeping great body language, great non-stop self-talk, movement, awareness, keeping your head up, from basic stuff through to just subtle little things that could be related to performance, the more you insist on that, the more of a brutal competitor you create, in my opinion. You have to give in to the fact that sometimes players will go on the course and they won't perform at their best, but that's got to be okay. But they have to be, they have to demonstrate world-class processes. I want to see head out. I want to see great body language. I want to see see great non-stop positive vocals. I want to see movement. I, I demand effort. I insist on effort. But I don't, and, and I'm coming off the top of my head here with basketball. Um, I don't insist on completion of every pass. I don't always insist on um um scoring with every shot you you take because you know that that can you know what that can that can um damage performance because players become fearful players become protective players won't take risks and players will play with fear and not with freedom they'll play back foot not front foot they'll play not to lose rather than to win mm-hmm. process process process
0: yeah we talk about that all the time uh, you know process versus results because Part of it is, you know, the guy could take a, you know, basketball is a little different as far as soccer, as far as like taking bad shots that are selfish or guarded. Um, and a lot of times if a player makes that shot, even though it's a terrible shot, it will lead to problems down the road. The process wasn't there. And, uh, and it will just further encourage a player that's doing, you know, that's not playing the right way uh, to continue to do that. And a lot of times coaches are, you know, like cover their heads when they see that. Um let me ask you this, because a lot of times when we talk about playing intelligently, uh, the argument then goes that um, then you're taking away their instincts. And I'll give you an example. So Russell Westbrook, uh, and this is a, I'm sort of fishing around. It's not exactly all pertaining to what we're talking about, but Russell Westbrook is a an extremely talented player on the on the Thunder. He plays, you know, he's he's a, the t- one of the top guards in the league. And I just you know have a hard time watching him play because he's a bundle of rage. Um, at everybody, teammates, referees, coaches, doesn't matter. Um, he is so, uh, overwhelming physically, you know, his quickness and his explosiveness and the way he can go. Uh, he is more, more often than not out of control and then misses the shots because, you know, and everyone's like, wow, did you see that amazing drive to the basket? I said, yeah, but he missed the shot. You know, he's, he's not, his footwork isn't right. He's out of control. And, and, um, and so, but but they but the the phrase they use is let Russ be Russ or you gotta let Russ be Russ, which to me means okay no one's gonna coach the guy they're just gonna sort of let him be what he's gonna be there's never any growth there it's really frustrating to me so I suppose that so the question is by trying to improve the the intelligence of a player are we gonna limit their effectiveness as, from the instinctual level.
1: I think it's possible to have both um these these are real real complex this is a real complex conversation I'm going to answer this the <laughs> best best way i can it's it's, it's brilliant and, and i I think again i will go back to soccer if you've got somebody you know if if Barcelona had um Lionel Messi went to Barcelona if you look at footage of Lionel Messi eight years old it's it's like watching back in Rosario in Argentina um it, it's it's like he's dribbling through the opposition it's watching, like watching a knife through butter and if Barcelona when he went to Barcelona if Barcelona has said well we're just going to make him play uh, one or two touch football and we're just going to make sure he passes and distributes the ball you would probably not have heard of arguably, arguably the best soccer player in the world right now at the same time they would have introduced to Lionel Messi between the ages of 11 to 14 training protocols that incorporated uh, physical and cognitive overload, you know, playing in small spaces and the ability to distribute within small spaces. And it would have been the skill of the players, uh, sorry, the skill of the coaches to have a culture and an environment that allowed. That, that, that trained Lionel Messi to develop one and two touch football and the skills he needed to have as a as a teammate and an eventual Barcelona first team player. Come match day, we're going to allow some leniency because This guy's just going to go through the opposition here. He's going to dribble his way through. So I think it's about having both, Nick. As as challenging and complex as that is from a coaching perspective, it's can we train game intelligence in our training? Can we trust that over time this is going to filter into his performance on the pitch or the court? But come match day or come game day... We do have to let him or her off the leash to a degree. It's having a culture, a coaching culture, that is robust enough to deliver the best of both worlds, and that takes great coaching. I agree with you. You can't let this uh, basketball player just get away with everything. He has to learn footwork. He has to learn when it 's appropriate to pass when it 's appropriate to take the shot on, when it's appropriate to dribble, et etc, et etc I think it 's about creating the 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 best possible coaching culture and coaching climate. That coaches him, um, that trains him, and then trains to. And then we trust him on game day as best we can. If over time that isn't working, if there is no improvement in footwork, if there is no improvement in decision making, then you just damn well have to make a decision. We perhaps have to rein him in here, because then he is going to be a liability in the long term. So, well,
0: oh, yeah. and because then the issue becomes. You know, uh, I'm sure there's a wide range of abilities across different teams, even in the same uh, level, right? Like, you know, there's a team that are not going to win very many games. And what we see in the NBA is that a lot of players, and like this guy included, will, the numbers are great, but he's doing it against the bottom, you know, 16, 17 defenses in the league. But and so so the crucial to me is you got to judge them based on what 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 would happen against the best three or four defenses because that's what they're going to play in the playoffs you know which is everyone is expecting them to win the title or get really close and so I think that's where I get like on Twitter where people start yelling at me is that they're looking at the results and I am looking at the process knowing that that kind of process doesn't work against the best few defenses. And, you know, the top, top players, in my mind, are the ones who know how to uh, perform and d- decision-making is correct uh, at the highest levels of pressure, which also reminds me of when we're talking in that context. You know, the notion of pressure, I try and tell my players, uh, you know, it doesn't, pressure doesn't really exist, right? You can't hold pressure in your hand. It doesn't really it, – it, the only reason why it does exist, I think, is – because you create it, right? It's like, you know, you have a choice of whether or not you want to create that pressure on yourself. Is that is that how you think as well?
1: No, I, 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 I think that you can you, – I, I don't think. I know that you can learn to perform under pressure. I, I – I, um, I, I think actually there's a famous, a famous basketball coach. I can't remember where it's Charles Barclay or something like somebody like that who said pressure doesn't exist. Pressure is just something in your tires or something like that. And and actually, I, I'd probably, with respect, Nick, I'd probably uh, and humbly disagree with you on that. In as much as it is very much a, a, a biological phenomenon, we wouldn't have. Ev- I don't want to get too deep here into evolutionary science and evolutionary psychology, but we wouldn't have evolved. Um, as a species without feeling stressed, you know there, there 's short term stress which is dealing with pressure in a match day situation and there 's long term stress and and um, tribesmen two hundred thousand years ago had long term stress and they learned how to create weapons and tools that outfoxed um, uh, the opposing tribe, just as a, a coach will learn tactics and techniques to outfox the coach in the opposing teams. Um, but also short-term stress is the one where the caveman, walk, caveman walked out the cave, saw the ta- saber-toothed tiger, and he had to, had to have that stress response within him. So, and 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 what we know within psychology and and science and neuroscience is that some people are highly. Um, trait anxious. There's state anxiety. There's trait anxiety. State anxiety is feeling that pressure in the moment, if you like. Whereas trait anxiety is somebody has a biolog- biological predisposition to feeling very nervous in certain situations. Um, I was guilty of that, you know, as a professional girl Stick me in front of a thousand coaches and ask me to speak in front of them, and I feel great. I'll kick ass. I'm, I'm, I'm. I love it stick me in front of 10 people watching me play golf and I'm terrified. And that wasn't great as a pro golfer, as you can imagine. That was a a slight stumbling block. So confidence and anxiety and stress work in complex dynamics. And so some people have a biological predisposition to it. Now, absolutely, the words you use and the sentences you use there is actually a great way Uh, almost like a method for players to start rationalizing the feelings that they experience come on this doesn't exist this is just me building this up here so absolutely in that respect I do agree with you Uh, and and that's a useful way to speak to players to try to help them through that situation Um, but um, performing under pressure is, is something that players can improve some players just don't feel the effects of pressure. Some players do, and it and it can be it can stifle their
0: performance. Well, this has been uh, a terrific. Uh, you certainly haven't stifled anybody's performance on this uh, podcast today with the, all the terrific information. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. My favorite movie of all time is, or one of them is *Chariots of Fire*. And I got asked, are you related to Harold Abrahams, being a, a fellow Englishman? Good, good question. Uh, no.
1: I'm oh. not, sadly. You know what? It's weird you've mentioned that because it's one of my favourite films. And there are so many. If, if you Look, it's a, it's a film from 1981. It's quite a slow-paced film, so younger people listening to this may struggle a wee bit to get all the way through it. I love it. It's got kind of outdated slow-motion things. Great soundtrack track track from a, a Greek guy called Vangelis that won the Oscar back in 1981 for the soundtrack. Watch it. Because there's so many brilliant psychological things in there. Um, it, it's wow. absolutely awesome.
0: How old, how old were you when it came out? Four. Oh, okay. I was I was nine. And I watched right. in the theaters. And, and so you can imagine. My, yeah. my parents were crazy. They took me to all of their movies. And they would have to cover yeah. my eyes for like half of the movie for some of the stuff they took me to. But not for Chariots of Fire. And uh, I can remember watching that, and you really, you know, and there's actually, it's not, it's unfortunate, it's not Harold Abraham's, because he wasn't as, mo- as as eloquent as um, Eric, um,
1: Eric, Eric, Little.
0: Eric Little was, when he's yeah. talking about um, running, and he has that amazing sort of speech about how he feels next to God or something, but that, I think, is what we're talking about when we're talking about being in the right frame of mind and feeling, it. now he makes it into a religious context, which isn't for everybody, yep. but but I feel like, whatever you want to call it God or whatever that exists, right. And that's sort of what you can Absolutely. find to run for or to perform for.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that, that, that was in, in many respects, and I don't want this to come across as crass, but it was, it was a wonderful form of sports psychology in itself. You know, it helped him, it helped Eric little. I mean, I've read the, 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 uh, the uh, biography, not the autobiography, the biography of Eric little and, and Harold Abrahams and, 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 you know, that helped Eric Little rationalize things. You know, he was he was running for God and, you know, what winning and losing wasn't the be all and end all. And actually, he was due to running 100 meters. Um, um, but the heat took place on a Sunday mm-hmm. and he refused to run on a Sunday. And, um, and and so winning and losing wasn't the be all and end all for him so it was a wonderful way for him to rationalise his, run, his running he was there to win and win for God and, and there was a purpose there but you know what, if he didn't win it's okay because Actually, my main—he t- ended up being a missionary in China in one World War Two, which sadly he, he he died during World War Two uh, as a missionary. But that was his his major purpose in life. The running was just—it was there to show off God. It was there to demonstrate the power of God and the beauty and the glory of God. And and I say this as somebody who's not a particularly religious person, but just almost a wonderful form of sports psychology. Whereas Harold Abrahams, who who was Jewish and lived in in a time where one could one could say there were some uh, racial ch- uh, challenges being Jewish in an Anglo-Saxon country, which which England is and very much was back then. Um, and he used it as a weapon in a different way it's i'm going to show you you know you, you you hold me back society holds me back because I'm jewish and and um, I'm going to use this um, as something that pushes me on so for Eric little it was a comfort it was a rationalization for 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 Howard Abraham's it was a motivating force it was a driving it it it, it created it forced him to go and seek out the only professional running coach or one of the only professional running coaches in the world at that time now he went to Cambridge University and that was a big deal to them they were like you can't see this guy this guy's a professional the way of the amateur is the only way here and it created a conflict it was absolutely fascinating film how different forms of psychology drives people a rationalization a a, a want to win so fascinating stuff and they both were very successful in the end
0: absolutely well we'll have to do another podcast we just talk about chariots of fire because that's this is a whole other conversation we could have and i would love it um and so sports fans don't forget to check out dan abraham's latest book soccer tough two i take it they can buy it on amazon is that correct
1: absolutely amazon.com uh, amazon.co.uk dot u k wherever you are in the world you can purchase
0: it and then where do we find you on twitter? Tell us how to follow you
1: um, i'm um, my my soccer twitter which would be the most appropriate for your audience is @danabrahams77. Um, I'm at dan abraham uh, 's seventy seven i 'm at dan abraham or dan Abraham's sport on instagram i do 'm not sure there 's the app with that one dan Abraham's sport with instagram and just to say with, if i may a nick with soccer tough too Look, I have a lot of basketball coaches and players who actually follow me on Twitter and they find my stuff very, very applicable to basketball. So I'd like to think you could easily take these ideas and integrate them into basketball
0: well I mean I am one of them so without question you can and I I will back you up on that statement for sure and you know thanks again for joining us we'll have to have another one at some point and and talk some more because there's going to be a lot of I'm sure every day there's a new technique or a new uh, finding or something that we could share Um, so thanks for coming on the show Dan I really appreciate it and don't forget sports fans at B-Ball Breakdown we're not a channel we're a conversation you in? are you in Dan? I'm in